702. Family Matters. And today, I want us to talk about the cost of having high-achieving parents. And maybe this has been a negative experience for you. Maybe it's been a positive experience. I'm sure there's someone out there being grateful to their parents for being harsh and expecting so much from them because that's why they've achieved what they've been able to achieve. But there may be someone listening to this and saying, my goodness, that was very traumatizing for me as a child and it's really affected me um, into adulthood. So I want us to talk about that cost of having high achieving parents. You know when you feel like you have big shoes to fill? And look, pro- parents are programmed to want to see their children being self-sufficient, knowing that that child will be able to take care of themselves when they are no longer around. But sometimes parents push too hard. And sometimes they want to live their dreams through us as their children. And the problem with that is children of ambitious, overachieving parents may then develop that fear of not living up to their parents' expectations. And they're living under the veil of a successful or overachieving parent, which then affects them into their adulthood, like gravitating towards perfectionism. Maybe you've got anxieties because of how you were raised and the expectations on you. And high achievement to overcome some kind of a looming dissatisfaction in your life, because that's what you're fearful of, because for the longest time you've always been told you've got to only be the best. And that's the, there's no other option. Yeah, and often that 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 can be that can be um, an issue for some people. So were you raised that way? Right? Are you a high achieving parent? How have you navigated one wanting the best for your children, but two not putting too much pressure on them? And as a child, do you find yourself competing with your high achieving parents? Because some people overwork themselves and they always want to perform in order to gain that attention, in order to gain that approval um, from their parents. So let's have a conversation about this on 011-883-0702. The WhatsApp line 0727021702. Jeannie Carvey is a clinical psychologist who's going to guide us through this discussion. Jeannie, thank you so much for making time. Always great to have you joining us for these conversations. Uh, thank you so much. It's always so much fun to be here. Mm. So when we talk about... <sighs> high-achieving parents, you know, parents who are expecting so much from their children. What exactly are we talking about? Maybe just paint a scenario. What does it often look like? Because I feel like there's a silver lining. There are parents who are probably listening to us and saying, but all I want is the best for my child. I just want them to be self-sufficient. I want them to achieve their dreams. And that's why I'm not being easy on them. Yeah, you know, it was, so, it was so interesting for me, Clemens, you know, I like to be super prepared for our interviews and make sure that I'm not just relying on anecdotal evidence from my, my practice. So I always do research, um, do an academic research exercise. And what I found was so interesting was there, there were far more articles on how to raise high-performing children than there were really? about the psychological <laughs> impacts yeah, on parents who emphasize performance. Um, so even when I, I searched the university library for journal articles and when I also looked at the internet, what the internet is saying and what are different people's opinions, it came up with how to raise high-performing children. And I think that this is definitely reflected in what's happening in the education system. For example, um, a lot more homework for children nowadays. When we were growing up, 
homework was for the work that you didn't get around to in class, that you didn't finish in class, and it mm. encouraged you to finish your work in class and not mess around in class. But now there's like full programs of homework being allocated to children after school. And in addition to that, a lot more extramurals, a lot more extramurals. And instead of a lot of playtime, children are being engaged in self-development and intellectual pursuits instead of having time to play. And I think that this is a reflection of being in a very competitive world where there are a lot more people, a lot fewer resources, um, and mm. really an emphasis on achievement, success, and performance. You know, I was at a friend's child's birthday party recently, and the parents, um, um, you know, school, my, my child's friend goes to a very, very, very exclusive private school, and all the parents were sitting around talking about how their children are excelling in their extramurals. And it was about three hours of conversation where the parents were comparing their children's performances at school and in these extramurals. And the parents asked me, what does your son like to do? And I was feeling a bit cheeky, so I said he likes to watch YouTube and play Minecraft. Because I didn't want to participate. <laughs> I was feeling a bit cheeky. So I said he likes to watch YouTube and play Minecraft. I mean, he's got things that he's interested in, but I didn't want to participate in this conversation of comparing our children as little benchmarks yeah. of success. And I think it comes mm. from a place of, of care and it comes from a place of also anxiety. Am I doing enough for my child? Am I giving them the opportunity? Am I giving them the resources that they need in order to be successful? But what it looks like mm. is it looks like this overemphasis on achievements, success and performance and not enough emphasis on understanding that a little child is like a little baby chicken inside an egg just trying to grow and enough support and enough nurture and enough resource for the child to become their full versions of themselves rather than thinking of your child like a block of marble that you need to carve into something in order for it to be what it needs to be. Yeah, because then you are carving them to your own making what you want them to be and not so much with how they want to be. Do you think sometimes it's that pressure then, Jeannie, that comes from you know the parents friends in those social settings because the parents want to be able to say oh my kid got an award at the school for this and that my kid is a great sportsman in school it, it, that does that pressure contribute in how parents often push their children and there's that over emphasis on performance on achievement in the household I think very much so, and even on the children themselves, you know, a client of mine was telling me the other day, she's a young woman in her early 20s, and she was saying, you know, that she's, um, she's so performance-oriented and she doesn't understand because nobody ever pressurized her into performing. And I said to mm. her, or achieving, and I said to her, oh, so did you go to a school where they didn't have award ceremonies? Did you go to a school where they didn't give colors for things? Did you go to a school where there weren't um, accolades? And she said, no, she went to a school where there were all those things. So I said, it's implicit in the culture. Um, and I think that especially in South Africa, where there's a very competitive school culture, and especially in high-achieving um, communities, that the schools themselves are very competitive and they really want their children to excel and be competitive. So I think it's not only coming from the parents, but it's coming from the sort of business nature that schools have, especially private schools, have adopted. And so the children are exposed to it all the time. Oh, look, these children are... People are smiling at them, people are clapping for them, people are congratulating them, people are approving of them because they have excelled and achieved. So I think that parents don't parents want their children to be acceptable, parents want their children to be successful. And so then that becomes the measure of what is a well adjusted child. A well adjusted child is a child mm -hmm. that's getting good marks, is getting sports colours, is a prefect, is doing all of those things. 
And um, uh, some of the, the work that I read by Dr. Shefali, who's a wonderful, wonderful speaker, and you can find her on Instagram, Dr. Shefali, um, and she speaks about, um, uh, you know, sort of child-centered parenting and relationship-based parenting. Mm. And she says that mm. what happens is that parents don't always acknowledge that their children might have different skills and interests than what they do and measure their children's well-adjustment or well-being or even success by standards that don't actually apply to that child. Mm, yeah. So what's the impact then on the child if they are living, you know, under their parents' shadows, so to speak, or if some their parents are living their own dreams through the children? What becomes the impact? I mentioned earlier that sometimes you've got people who gravitate towards perfectionism and they've got anxieties even when they're not doing well because for the longest time they've always been expected to be the best so let's talk of the consequences of having those overachieving parents and you feel you're living under their shadows and you feel like they're trying to live their dreams through you yes um and so you know what i see in my practice and also what i saw across the research that i was able to find um, was that there is definitely a very, very, very high level of anxiety, um, lots of mm. levels of stress, and most of all in the children, fear of rejection, a fear of judgments and burnout. And this was mostly found in studies that looked at um, how children responded to perceived parental criticism. And that the higher the level of parental criticism, the more likely the child was to have anxiety and be prone to burnout. But I think... Besides that, besides just the impacts on the children, what it also does is that it actually robs the parents of the experience of developing a relationship with their child. And one of the most mm. valuable things that somebody said to me when I was pregnant with my son was, it's not a project, it's a person. This is not a KPI, it's a relationship. And by being performance-oriented and outcomes-oriented, it actually robs you of the joy of the relationship. And the relationship becomes about achievement rather than about actually a bond. So I think both the parents mm. and the, the, the children lose out. And what the study showed was that um, there, there definitely is an elevated risk for mental health problems like depression and anxiety, that uh, parental criticisms and expectations were the greatest risk factor for that, and that especially mm. the father-child relationship, the disapproval of the father was, was one of the, the major factors there. And other studies show that rather than focusing on achievement, when parents focus on prioritizing intrinsic pro-social values that promote community and relationship, that these children, just as much as, or even more than, um, they actually did excel and do very well. So the kind of child, what I interpreted from that, was that the kind of child that can tolerate the pressure is the kind of child that doesn't need the pressure in order to succeed. Whereas the mm. kind of child who can't tolerate the pressure cannot succeed because of the pressure. So children who are resilient, I always say some children are like eggs and some are like tomatoes. The children that who are like eggs, the more you boil an egg, the harder it becomes. Those children, they don't need external pressure because they're already internally driven. But what happens mm. when you boil a tomato, a tomato falls apart? So those children don't respond well to the pressure. They just fall apart. How do we get a tomato mm. to last long? Is we sun dry it, right? So those children respond more to warmth and encouragement than they do to pressure. So the studies really show that some children succeed despite pressure, but 
but some children don't succeed because of it, but that nobody actually really benefits from it. Yeah, <laughs> Jenny, all I'm thinking now is how I need to have consultations with you before I have that child, because <laughs> this is so, uh, so helpful in how you nurture and build that relationship with your children. I'm going to take a quick ad break, Jenny. When we come back, I uh, would like us to take some calls from our listeners. 011-883-0702. What's been your experience? Uh, are you that kind of a parent that is high achieving? Do you put a lot of pressure on, on your children? And what's been the impact, right? Or maybe you are a child who feels they're living under the shadows of their parents. You feel like your parents are living their dreams through you. What kind of pressure did your parents put on yourself? And how did that affect you into adulthood? Um, I mentioned earlier, and Jeannie touched on, you know, some people gravitating towards perfectionism. Right? Some people gravitating towards anxiety. Right? You've got, you know, you're always anxious when you can't achieve certain things. And you always feel when I achieve, when I am this successful, then I can gain the attention of the people you need approval from. Or I can get this approval uh, from my parents. So share your experiences with us on 11 or send me a voice note now on 072 Clement Manyatela, bringing you all the news, views, and insights from the Department of Water and Sanitation's National Pricing Strategy Public Consultation on 702. Twenty-three minutes after uh, eleven o'clock. Let's continue with our conversation um, around parenting and high-achieving parents. I'm going to take your calls on zero one one eight eight three zero seven zero two. I've got some of your WhatsApp texts, WhatsApp texts that have come through. I'll get to them uh, shortly. Zero seven two seven zero two one seven zero two. We're talking about high-achieving parents. Um, have you ever felt like you've got big shoes to fill and that you are constantly placed, right? under pressure to achieve more and how have you navigated that how have you dealt with that uh just share your experiences with us Jeannie Kaveh is a clinical psychologist who's guiding us through uh, this discussion uh Jeannie there's a parent who's asking here uh, Clement please can you ask Jeannie about this thing of comparing um, how can I make sure that I do not compare my child and therefore put pressure not on just on myself uh, but on my child as well um, because as you said Jeannie earlier you are losing out on the opportunity to be part of the experience of developing that child you're coming with your own expectations and you don't even know what they want to do what they feel like doing what their passion is all about so what a beautiful question thank you so much for that Um, We know from the moment your child is born, they get compared immediately with um, the APGAR test, which compares them to other newborns and how are they rating. Then we weigh them, are they above average weights, are they average weights? And then at every developmental milestone, your child is being compared to other children. Now, if we look at the spirit of that, why do we do that? The spirit of that is to make sure that we pick up on any kind of problem so that we can create solutions to problems. But how we've internalized that is we've made it performative, not only for the child, but also for the parent. So high-performing parents are not only high-performing people that have high expectations for their children, but they're also high-performing people who have high expectations for themselves in their parenting. And they sometimes compare their children to get a feel for whether they are doing a good enough job in parenting. 
and it becomes then about their own performance rather than about the child's well-being. So I think that there's a subtle but significant difference between comparing children to make sure that there isn't you know, a deficiency or a learning difficulty or something that requires intervention and comparing children to make sure that your child is in the top sort of percentile, that your child is the, the head of the, the pack, your child is the, the pick of the litter. And so to be very aware in yourself, where is this actually comparison coming from? And to then compare your child within yourself to make sure that you're not missing something that they might need in terms of their development, some support or something that they might need in terms of their, de their development, and never, ever, ever expressing that comparison to the child. So one of the most psychologically damaging things that parents say to their children, and I hear it from my adult clients, is why can't you be more like dot, dot, dot? Whether it's a friend, whether it's a sibling, whether it's themselves, why can't you be more like so-and-so? It actually robs the child of their self-actualization, which is, for me, the reason why we're here, is to experience ourselves the most fully that we can, to have the most authentic experience of the youest you that you can be. And by disgracing a child or shaming a child for not being more like somebody else, we rob that, that, that drive for self-actualization away from them by saying that you would be better if you were less like you and more like someone else. So I think, in summary, comparison is a very important thing if you're looking at it from a medical or an educational perspective. Where is my child in terms of their development? And is their development on track or do they need some kind of special intervention while they can still benefit from it in their developmental years? And that is a conversation between mm. you and the healthcare professional, between you and the teacher, between you and the psychologist, mm. between you and the pediatrician. But that's never a conversation between you and your child. And like I said, to be very clear with yourself, you know, when my, when my son was a tiny baby and would be at swimming, sometimes I'd want to say to the parents, you know, this is not the Olympics. You know, it'll, it'll be okay if your child is not kicking as mm. hard as the other children, because that is actually not a developmental delay. That is, I want my child to be the best swimmer. I want my child yeah. to be the best academic. I want my child to be like that child in school who is shooting the lights out of everything. And that is when comparison, even within yourself, can actually play out into that performative punctuation in your relationship. But the most important thing, no matter whether you're doing it for, for, for nurture or you're doing it for competition, is that comparison must never, ever be communicated to the child. Hmm. Yo, I'm, I'm just thinking, how many times do we often go to these plays at school or watch them play soccer and when they make a little mistake on that field we're screaming at them oh why did you just do that like just the impact that has um on the child because you are so competitive with other parents who are sitting on the stairs right and you just yes. want the best and a little mistake there you start screaming at your kids there are some voice no uh, messages coming through let me start with these before the calls one person says clement um, Jenny's correct there. Comparing and competing, competing is toxic and sick. Another listener says, Clement, I'm 26 years old and I suffer from the golden child syndrome. I've always felt the need to be perfect at everything and to live up to my parents' high expectations. It felt like I had to always succeed so that she wouldn't feel like she failed at her marriage and is now failing at parenting. It was top 10 or nothing. I'm still trying to unlearn hating myself whenever I don't perform as well as I should because of the anxiety and fear of abandonment. Sure, my goodness. 
Um, I'll get Jeannie to respond to that after the latest in eyewitness news headlines. I'll take more of your experiences on on the voice, voice note line, also on, on our line on 011-883-0702. The pricing of South Africa's water resource comes into focus with Clement Manyatela and the Department of Water and Sanitation on 702. It's 11.33. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation around the expectations that parents have, right? High-achieving parents. Do you feel like you've got big shoes to fill? I just read that heartbreaking SMS, and I'll read it again so that I can give Ginny an opportunity to respond to that. We'll take more calls as well. But before we do, uh, let's bring in Rilabokhile Mabucha, who's here to tell us what's coming up between 1 and 3 p.m. How's it going, Rilabokhile? Happy, happy Monday, Clement. Such an important conversation you guys are having. But I'm looking forward to today's show. What we do have coming up is that... um, uh, e-waste day was a day that was taking place on the 14th of October. So we're going to talk about e-waste and what it is we can do to just be more responsible as individuals. In our parenting and parents mm. feature, we're going to look at how to know when your parents is at a place where they can no longer be independent and take care of themselves. And we're not just talking financially like maybe your parents is becoming forgetful and they get lost. Maybe they have a dementia diagnosis. So those types of, um, you know, when your parents can no longer take care of themselves. Mm. And then we close off the show with the Naked Scientist. And that's what's coming up on 702 Afternoons. We'll be with you between 1 and 3 p.m. 702 Family Matters. All right, so I'm, I'm going to take your calls and WhatsApp shortly. Jenny, uh, let's maybe start with that SMS that I read, and I'll just read it again just to refresh your memory. Uh, this is a listener who says, Clement, I'm 26 years old, and I suffer from the golden child syndrome. I've always felt the need to be perfect at everything and to live up to my mother's high expectations. It felt like I had to always succeed so that she wouldn't feel like she failed at her marriage and is now failing at parenting. It was top 10 or nothing. I'm still trying to unlearn hating myself whenever I don't perform as well as I should because of the anxiety and that fear of abandonment. Oh, and I mean, Jenny, that's now there's someone who's dealing with issues around anxiety, the fear of an abandonment, because for the longest time, there's always been this expectation, either this or nothing. And, and this listener says it's affecting them in their adult in their adulthood. Yeah, I just really want to thank um, Golden Child over there for sharing so vulnerably with all of us um, and can really hear their struggle. And, um, you know, I've recently been watching some Disney movies with, with my son and some of them are just so beautiful. It's such amazing life lessons. Like we were watching Inside Out the other day and for me it was such a beautiful um, lesson around corrective listening and making space for all emotions. But for this one, if you haven't really seen it, the movie Canto, where everybody in the family has got a special gift except for the one um, sister. Mm. And everybody in the beginning of the movie, all the viewers and the, the people in the village, they feel very sorry for the sister who doesn't have the special gift, the magical gift that everybody else has. And each one's got a magical mm. gift, like the one sister is incredibly strong and the other one is really beautiful and does everything perfectly. And as we go through the movie, we see that actually these gifts are actually burdens for the children who carry them because they feel like they can't be anything else. So, you know, we often hear that the squeaky gate gets the most oil, so the children who have learning difficulties or medical conditions get a lot of the parental attention 
Um, but the golden child often feels sometimes both incredibly important in terms of maintaining the, the, the family balance, the family status quo, but also sometimes quite invisible in that they have to always just be okay. They always have to be doing well and they can't need any special attention. So the golden child ironically can also oftentimes feel invisible. So they're important for maintaining the parents' um, um, mental health and psychological well-being, but they themselves mm -hmm. and in their needs feel invisible. And that can lead to something of what I call emotional diabetes. And for me, emotional diabetes is when a person is unable to meaningfully absorb confirmation from the environment. So diabetes is where we can't take sugar out of the things that we eat and store it in our blood to be used at intervals. And emotional diabetes is when we can't take confirmation, which is acknowledgement of your inherent worth and value and acceptance, can't take it out of our interactions and store it. So with the person with emotional diabetes is simultaneously dependent on approval, but also immune to it. Like Golden Child said, that she was dependent, she was addicted to achieving, but her achievements actually don't, they aren't held or contained in her body. And in a moment where she's not achieving, she hates herself. And so this person has mm -hmm. a very dependency for self-worth. And they never actually, it's never good enough. And if you are good enough, who the hell do you think you are to be good enough? And that leads to what mm -hmm. we call fixed mindset, which I'm sure we'll talk about just now. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's take some of the WhatsApp voice notes that have also been coming through. All right, we'll come back to those WhatsApp voice notes. Hi, Gina, Clement. While yeah, they good get morning to you and all the 702 listeners. This is Joel from Watville in Benoni. I'm listening to the show. Uh, you know, high-achieving parents is a big problem because in most cases, they force their children to do to follow other courses which the, the children are not good at. But we need to allow the children to tell them to tell you what, what they are good at. And then you can work out from there. You can focus to see this must be good for them. Otherwise, they don't perform nicely, and then you end up shouting at them to say, I've wasted my money. But yeah, thanks for the good show. Sharp. Here's another one. Hi, Clement Lepokhan from Asia here. I remember when in varsity, I used to be so concerned about my friends that came from predominantly private schooling, of the pressure they used to feel from their families to the point of taking stimulants just to make sure they're like top of their class. And when my sure. niece this year went to grade one and she came in second for the first time in anything, me and my sister like were so angry, like our blood was boiling. And I remember my mom set us down. I was like, remember, that's not how I raised you. I celebrated every win. And then I allowed you guys to be whatever you wanted to be. And if you were disappointed about your performance in anything, we discussed it. But it was always in a positive setting. So, yeah, that set us straight. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting, Jeannie, because it's not the parent, right, who is executing those high expectations and they feeling this you know, feeling of disappointment because someone came number two, but it's the siblings, <laughs> which is another layer. So sometimes it's not the parents, but it's the siblings who are putting all of this pressure on you. Now, beautiful. I want to just touch on what, what Joel and Lebo Khan said. I think Lebo Khan actually said it was her and her sister about her little niece who started grade one recently. Yeah. And her, mm -hmm. their mom, the grandmother, said, no, no, guys, that's not how we do it. And I think what Lebo Kang, um, I'll come to Joel in just a moment and thank both of you for your beautiful voice notes. What Lebo Kang is showing there that as she got exposed to high achievement communities, she actually lost focus on the values that she was raised with. 
which is a beautiful example mm. of growth mindset. That your disappointments in your in your performance is your experience. How can you learn from that? How can you grow from that? But the focus is on trying and learning and having experiences. Whereas her being exposed to private school friends' adversity that are so terrified of failure that they actually are taking drugs for performance enhancing drugs that you know affect your nervous system, and um, being exposed to those high performing school children and um, all high performance schools their children. Um, she actually, her values were changed and her and her sister now were imposing those new values on the, on the niece and the grandmother in the family was like, no, no, we focus here on mm. growth mindset rather than on, on mm. fixed mindset, which is all about performance and outcome. So that was really beautiful. Thank you for that, Lebo Khan. And then Joel, yes, I must say, I had a client whose um, sister in university actually tried to commit suicide because the the parents wanted her to do a BCom, um, but she wanted to do um, an arts degree, and um, she just didn't resonate with doing a BCom. Um, you know, I'm I'm a psychologist. I've got a, a an arts degree, and if you'd asked me to be an accountant, that's not how my brain is wired. My brain doesn't like numbers, mm. but I was very very fortunate that my parents gave me the opportunity to study whatever I wanted to without any pressure or expectation. Um, but just to rather really focus on what will give me the best chance of being independent. Um, and so I was able to study something that my brain liked because everybody's brain is different. And so yeah, I think, Joel, you're completely right there that then people are very, first of all, unhappy because it's like a, a fish trying to climb a tree. Um, we'd rather put that fish into water than it can swim and excel. But when we ask it to climb a tree, and that's a comparison that was once made by Albert Einstein, um, and then the parents get angry with the children for not excelling at the course, but it really is like mm. trying to wear clothing that's five sizes too small. It's just not a good fit. Um, so that's very important. And it made me think so much of a beautiful client that I have when we were talking about his son, who is highly intelligent, but on the, on the spectrum. And we're talking about, you know, his dream for his son one day is just to find a vocation in which he can be properly um, cared for, the proper... Um, structure can be provided for him and that he won't have to worry about his survival because um, he isn't able to do that. And I just reflected how beautiful it is that he just accepts his son for who he is and wanting him to be the most um, well-adjusted and well-rounded person that he has the potential to be rather than comparing mm. it, comparing his son or his son's self-actualization to every other child out there, which is really, really unfair. Yeah, I've got just two questions here for you, Ajini. One listener says, Clement, how can a parent identify what kind of a child they have in terms of that analogy of an egg and a tomato? That's a question from Lerato. And then another question, uh, Clement, please can you ask Jeannie, what's the difference between comparing and encouraging a child to be the best that they can be? That's a message from Noni. Oh, these are such beautiful questions. Thanks, guys. Okay, so my acid test for do I have an egg or do I have a tomato is if you, in a playful way, tell a child not to do something. So and if I've got my son and his little friends around and I say in a playful way, now don't go jumping on mommy's bed, and you say it in a playful way, the egg children will run and jump on the bed. And the tomato children will say, no, don't jump on the bed. She said not to jump on the bed. Or when you've got an egg child, if I've, I've got an egg child, if I want him to do something, I'll say to him, like, I want him to jump in the pool, you know, to do, uh, just develop his swimming. So I'll say to him, Adam, please don't jump in the pool because you're going to wet mommy's hair. But I'll say it in a playful way. Or I don't think, I don't know if you're big enough to jump in the pool just yet. Hmm, what do you think? 
And then he'll even say mm. to me, mommy, I'm not falling for it, but he'll do it anyway. So your, your egg child reverse psychology works on them, um, but you've got to say it in a very playful way. Um, whereas your, your tomato child will, will be very compliant and say, okay, no, then I won't jump, I won't, I won't splash your hair. They won't want to play that game. So children that, re that respond well to reverse psychology are typically your egg children and children who don't respond to reverse psychology are typically your tomato children. So that's just a broad acid test that I find works very well. And it's always interesting for me to see my child's friends, which ones of them go. Because Adam will say, we're going to go jump on your bed. And I say, don't go jump on the bed. And then some of the little mm. ones will say, but Adam, she said don't. And then others will run and jump. And um, that's how I can mm. see the difference between the eggs and the tomatoes. And then the difference between comparing and encouraging Nani. It's a subtle but significant one. And I want to just share with you very briefly a study that was done on fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And I was taught about fixed mindset and growth mindset from my wonderful colleague, Mark Kahn, who I learned an absolute fortune from. Um, and he wrote, he's got a beautiful blog called Love Yourself for No Reason. And it's a book that he wrote as well. And he refers a lot to growth mindset and fixed mindset there. And Mark told me about the original experiment where they found, uh, where they found out about fixed mindset versus growth mindset. So they had two groups of children and they gave both groups of children who were of equal ability, they gave both groups of children an impossible task. And the one group of children, they told them, you're brilliant. You're absolutely brilliant. You'll figure this out because you're brilliant. And the other group of children, they told them, you try really hard. What I like about you is that you try really hard. And what they found was that when it came time to present the results, the group that were told they were brilliant, they actually faked the results as if they had successfully completed the activity. But they weren't, it was an impossible mm. activity, but they faked the outcome. Whereas the children who were told, you try really hard, they actually said, we didn't complete it, but this is why we didn't complete it. And they felt okay about it. So the difference is by focusing on um, verbs rather than adjectives. So you are trying, you are learning, you are discovering, you are encountering, rather than you are good, you are smart, you are clever, you're the best. You're so beautiful. You have so much fun. You are really loving learning. You are playing. Isn't it nice? Isn't it it's interesting how you're discovering? I really like how you're still trying rather than that was good. That was excellent. That was great. You can do it. I know that you can be the best. So that for me is the difference mm. between pressurizing is where you use adjectives for to your child of what they should be. And encouraging is where you use verbs with your child as to what they could be experiencing and encountering. Yeah. Here's a call from Adrian in Bedford View. Adrian, good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. I pulled into a shopping center, left a voice note, and your producer phoned me back and said, rather go on air. <laughs> so, yeah, please. Uh, yeah, thanks. So, um, you know what? There's no school for parents. And... Um, I think uh, we all grow up and we go through the teenage years where we think our parents are, are nuts and then we realize they're much cleverer when we hit our 20s. But I had a, mm. a dad who was an overachiever and semi-photographic memory, very clever man, and he just wanted the best mm. for me and, as, as you know, there's no score for it. And he used to punish me for everything I did wrong. It got to the stage where, you know, I just, just elected to go to boarding school just to get away from him. And look, we're great friends now, if you don't get me wrong. But what it did is yeah. it taught me a fear of failure. So I'm thinking, okay, and I'm old enough now to, to work through that. 
But I decided to do the opposite with my children. I've got three amazing kids. They're all completely different. And what we do mm. is we say, did you fail? Cool. What did you learn from it? You go, that's different. And then we just make oh, sure that nice. they have as much fun as possible and they excel at what they do. So if they come home from a training camp and say, you know, how is it today? Oh, it was horrible. Why? Didn't you have fun? Now, what can you do to make it fun? Every single one is an overachiever. Everyone is doing very well at school. Everyone is representing the country in some shape or form. And I'm going, what did we do right? I think we just had fun. Oh, what a Hello. great contribution, Adrian. You see why we needed you to call in? Uh, because you couldn't put all of that in a voice note. <laughs> thank you for calling, buddy. Um, Adrian in Bedford View, thank you. Oh, that's so, like, the fear of failure, right? And, and that's what Adrian says that developed, having the uh, high achiever uh, parent. There's another message here. Um, Clement, narcissistic families can be very complex and confusing. It can take years for us to acknowledge how dysfunctional our parents are or how their wounds have affected our development. Things get even more complicated if you're the golden child and you're trying to separate yourself from your parents. Golden children are often so used to being loved and admired by their parents that they don't know how to exist without their family's approval and recognition. They have no idea of what to do or who to be. They have no idea of who they are behind or who um, they are behind the identity of the perfect child. That's another message there. Ginny, I don't know if you've got any reflections on that or on Adrian's call. Beautiful. Thank you to both of them. Absolutely. Um, Adrian, I really, really love that. And when you ask, um, what did we do right? I think we just had fun. Um, We can definitely hear there that that children don't succeed because of pressure, but some children manage to succeed despite it. And every child actually wants to reach their full potential. We are all biologically programmed for it. So there is actually no such thing as a lazy child or a child who doesn't apply themselves. There's only avoidance. There's only a child who's avoiding some kind of pain in some kind of way. And if you find that you think your child has got more potential than that they are actualizing, the question rather shouldn't be not why they're not motivated, but rather what are they avoiding? And so Adrian would rather have gone to boarding school, which is incredibly structured and very strict and probably in his day, because he's got um, um, you know older children, so he's maybe a bit older, um, in his day, even stricter than it is now, he'd rather have gone there than be with his own father. And his father employed negative marking, which we know nobody uses negative marking anymore because it actually just discourages everybody. Um, and with his mm. children, I just thought it was so beautiful that they embodied growth mindset. Um, okay, you failed. What well, can you learn from that? And you know, it wasn't so good. Well, didn't you have fun? So there we see the verbs rather than the adjectives. So I thought that was so beautifully shared. Thank you so much for that, Adrian. And we see there that it's mm. not crucial for for achievement to have pressure, that children dis- succeed despite it, not because of it. And then finally, the one of the narcissistic family and the, the golden child syndrome, yes, it's because it's based on approval, which is positive judgment, not on acceptance. So approval and positive judgment leads to emotional diabetes, in which you are simultaneously addicted and dependent on approval from the environment, but also immune to benefiting from it in terms of developing a consistent and stable sense of self. So, like I said, you don't know who you are, you don't know actually, you know, what, what am I actually about? Because you're consistently working with an external measure of approval rather than feeling inherently accepted for who you are and discovering mm. who you are rather than, than molding who you are. So, when you think about your parenting, is rather providing a beautiful relational field in which your child can blossom into the flower that they were always going to be and you give them the fertilizer and you give them the water and you give them the sunshine and you 
you, you do set nice fences, you know, so that the little rabbits don't come and eat the flower. So there are boundaries. But rather than thinking about your child as a piece of clay that you're going nothing, you're rather just planting that seed and watching it unfold into its own true self. And there's actually nothing that's more beautiful than that. Yeah, let's uh, uh, see. There's a question we have on our voice note line on 072702 on 702. Hi, is Patricia here. Uh, what advice can you give to somebody who, let's say, they are dead set on the child studying medicine and then you say, you are going to give me what I want and then after that you can go to your art uh, degree but first you will do mine and then you won't waste my money and then after that you can go and do your degree in art thank you <laughs> so you're wasting money if you're doing what you want do what i want first genie yeah i think it's very difficult but some people um you know some people it's like they've got um you know mealies in their ears you can't tell them that they've got mealies in their ears because they can't hear you because of the mealies in their ears so I don't know if I would give that parent any advice other than say to them, you know, I think the only thing worse than a child that's not a doctor is a child that's committed suicide. Um, but if that's a risk you're willing to take, because that's a big risk with adolescents and young adults is suicide. But if that's a risk you're willing to take, then, you know, that's, I suppose, it's your child, so it's your decision to do that. Um, that's the only thing I would say to them. But you can't that kind of rigid person. They're not really going to listen to advice. But in terms of supporting the child... Um, I think that there's a lot that you can do there to support the child um, by helping them learn to tolerate other people's judgments and helping them learn to know the difference between acceptance and approval and know the difference between understanding where their parent is coming from and agreeing with it, that they can understand their parents' intentions but not necessarily agree that it's the best thing for them and providing that child with the support to stand up to their parent or to tolerate the 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 trauma of the medical degree because it will be a traumatic experience for them if it's not what they really want. Um, medicine is not a joke and it's hard enough even if the person does really want to do it. Um, so mm. yeah, I guess there's not really much you can advise a parent like that who's so so rigid and dead set um, on it other than I would just say, yeah, sure. You know, I think it's really courageous yeah. that you're willing to risk your child committing suicide in service of them hopefully becoming a doctor. Mm, yeah. It is. Let, let's wrap up, um, Jeannie, with, by talking perhaps about the importance of that growth mindset. So for some people listening to us, maybe they are parents and they realize that, you know, this is what they've been doing unaware. Or maybe someone who's listening to us and saying, oh, is that why I am such a perfectionist? Is that why I have always, always have anxiety and the fear of failure? How can they start doing the work to deal with that upbringing that's gotten them uh, to behave in the way that they behave in their adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. For those parents that are listening to this and didn't realize that they were, were embodying fixed mindset or being overachieving parents, I think it's very important to redefine what is the, your concept of success, to redefine that and not to have mm -hmm. it as outcomes and performance-based, to understand that your child is a person, not a project, that your child is not a 100% direct reflection of your worth as a person, to tell the difference between what is protecting your child and what is actually supporting your child. So how can you support your child in becoming who they want to be rather than feeling like you've got to protect them from the disapproval of the rest of the world? Understand the difference between pressure and encouragement and understand, like we say, the difference between the egg child and the tomato child. 
And then also mm. what I do with a lot of my parents that are high achieving parents that put untold pressure on their children is I actually ask them, what is your real fear here? And to deal with your real underlying fear. And then if you are an adult and you've realized that you've had these, um, these high achieving parents that have left you with maybe emotional diabetes, for example, is like I said a few moments ago, is really learn to tolerate other people's judgment long enough to figure out what it is that you really want. Um, you'll never not care what other people think because you're not a sociopath, but you have to be able to tolerate the discomfort and tolerate the, and know the difference between what is uncomfortable and disapproval versus what is unsafe, which is doing things actually that are going to lead you to depression and anxiety. So it's uncomfortable to be disapproved no. of, but it's safe to be incongruent with your own true identity. Yeah, Jeannie Cave, clinical psychologist, always a pleasure having you um, in helping us navigate these very complex matters. Thank you for making time.